Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4, Podcast 81 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner. Today we will share Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Canto 1A, Episode 1. Podcast 81 is entitled... The Full Armor of God. Having finished John Milton's Paradise Lost, I shall now embark on Edmund Spencer's Fairy Queen. As with Milton, I give credit and thanks to the Gutenberg Press for making the book available free for all to read. If you haven't discovered Gutenberg Press, let me encourage you to type it in your search engine. You will find countless books that are in the public domain. The Gutenberg Press is amazing in its comprehensiveness, its professionalism, and its use of the electronic media. I shall begin this series of podcasts by having Linda read excerpts from a letter written by Spencer to Sir Walter Raleigh. Spencer explains his purpose in writing the book, So the Fairy Queen. In many instances throughout this series on the Fairy Queen, I have modernized the language for your convenience. Though the English language by Spencer's time had evolved to more modern English as illustrated by Shakespeare, still it has the strong flavor of Middle English, perhaps in keeping with the period of his fantastical tale. Edmund Spencer was born in 1552 in London and died January 13, 1599, at the young age of 47. He is a contemporary of William Shakespeare. The general end, therefore, of all the book is to fashion a gentleman or noble person in virtuous and gentle discipline. I labor to portray in Arthur, before he was king, the image of a brave knight, perfected in the twelve private moral virtues, as Aristotle hath devised, which if I find to be well accepted, I may be perhaps encouraged to frame the other part of politic virtues in his person after he came to be king. Merlin delivered to be brought up so soon as he was born of the Lady Egraine to have seen in a dream or vision the fairy queen with whose excellent beauty ravished, he awakening resolved to seek her out, and so, being by Merlin armed and by Timon thoroughly instructed, he went to seek her forth in fairyland. In that fairy queen I mean glory in my general intention, but in my particular I conceive the most excellent and glorious person of our sovereign, the queen, and her kingdom in fairyland. So in the person of Prince Arthur, I set forth magnificence in particular, which virtue, for that, according to Aristotle and the rest, it is the perfection of all the rest, and contains in it them all. Therefore, in the whole course, I mention the deeds of Arthur applicable to the virtue which I write of in that book. But of the twelve other virtues I make twelve other knights the patrons, for the more variety of the historic, of which these three books contain three. This series of podcasts are from book one entitled, The Legend of the Knight of the Red Cross, or of Holiness. 
The Red Cross Knight exemplifies holiness because no one else could fight the final battle against evil exemplified by a fierce dragon. However, when we first meet the Red Cross Knight, though he is valiant, he is foolhardy and clumsy and ill-prepared to meet the dragon. Of course, we're reminded of the dragon described in the book of Revelation. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. The purpose of this series is to follow the development of the callow youth until he becomes St. George, who slays the dragon in English lore. The epic poem is about his development, symbolizing the journey that we all must take. It is a very rocky road filled with many hair-raising obstacles, some seemingly insurmountable. The Red Cross Knight represents everyone who is on a quest to perfection. On the journey, we meet some very righteous and very evil characters, those who help the Red Cross Knight on his quest and those who try to destroy the Red Cross Knight and prevent him from achieving his noble goal. The Fairy Queen is clearly a work of genius. It is astonishing in its poetic power, its imagery, and its insights into good and evil. But Spencer does not shy away from the Protestant Reformation pulpit. It is unblushingly didactic like the parables and allegories of the Holy Bible, which is part of its charm. Spencer wants us to learn from the epic journey of the Red Cross Knight. Spencer, a classical scholar, assumes we have read the Holy Bible and the stories of King Arthur. King Arthur is a Christ-like character who symbolizes all the virtues. But we also meet Archimago, the archmagician, whose every word is deceitful, and Duessa, the double standard who tries to seduce the Red Cross Knight and a host of other villains who represent the opposite of the virtues of Christ, such as sans foy, without faith, sans joy, without joy, and sans loy, without law. In his letter to Raleigh, Spencer describes the plot of the story. The first was this. In the beginning of the feast, there presented himself a tall, clownish young man, who, falling before the queen of fairies, desired a boon, as the manner of them was which during that feast she might not refuse, which was that he might have the achievement of any adventure, which during that feast should happen. That being granted, he rested himself on the floor, unfit through his rusticity for a better place. Soon after entered a fair lady in mourning weeds, riding on a white ass with a dwarf behind her, leading a warlike steed, that bore the arms of a knight and his spear in the dwarf's hand. She, falling before the queen of fairies, complained that her father and mother, an ancient king and queen, had been by a huge dragon many years shut up in a brazen castle, who thence suffered them not to issue, and therefore besought the fairy queen to assign her someone of her knights to take on him that exploit. Presently that clownish person, upstarting, desired that adventure, whereat the queen much wondering, and the lady much gainsaying, yet he earnestly importuned his desire. In the end the lady told him that unless that armor which she brought would serve him, 
that is, the armor of the Christian man specified by St. Paul, 5 Ephesians, that he should not succeed in that enterprise, which being forthwith put upon him with due furniture thereunto, he seemed the goodliest man in all the company, and was well liked of the lady. And eftsoons taking on him knighthood, and mounting on that strange courser, he went forth with her on that adventure, where beginneth the first book. The lady's name is Una. Una means one and only. I quote from an unknown source. One, only lamb. Una is a girl's name with both Latin and Irish origins, meaning one and only in Latin, and deriving from the Irish word uan, meaning lamb. The name also represents the queen of the fairies in Irish mythology. As mentioned above, Una's parents are imprisoned by the dragon, and she needs a knight in shining armor to rescue them. The Red Cross Knight does not seem like a likely candidate, but he is the one assigned by the Fairy Queen, so she has to settle. She gives the armor to the Red Cross Knight. She is also accompanied by a dwarf who symbolizes common sense. Common sense, of course, sometimes has its downside, because the dwarf is not a romantic or a dreamer like the Red Cross Knight. He runs when it's expedient and changes allegiance quickly. So the three together, Una, the dwarf, and the Red Cross Knight in his new armor embark on a journey to slay the dragon who holds Una's parents captive. Please join us as we take the journey with them under the careful tutelage of Edmund Spencer. Though I shall follow the story in chronological order, I shall not explicate the epic poem stanza by stanza. For that, you will need to have the book before you. If you want it free, Gutenberg Press is a good place to start. I shall instead teach each dramatic episode that shows the trials and tribulations of the Red Cross Knight in his journey to holiness where he is finally qualified to challenge the dragon and release Una's parents. We shall begin with Canto 1, where the Red Cross Knight, with the arrogance of inexperienced youth, foolishly fights his first dragon and nearly loses his life. A gentle knight was pricking on the plain clad in mighty arms and silver shield, wherein old Dints of deep wounds did remain, the cruel marks of many bloody fields. Yet arms till that time did he never wield. His angry steed did chide his forming bit, as much disdaining to the curb to yield. Full folly knight he seemed, and fair did sit as one for knightly jousts and fierce encounters fit. The armor is borrowed, loaned to him by Una. The former knight that wore it was obviously a valiant knight who fought many battles, for the armor is battle-scarred. The Red Cross Knight, however, had never been in a battle before. He wore the courage of another, thinking it was his own. As is common with youth, he thought he was indestructible and equal to the armor, the nature of which he little understood. And on his breast a bloody cross he bore, the dear remembrance of his dying lord, for whose sweet sake that glorious badge he wore and dead as living ever him adored. Upon his shield the like was also scored for sovereign hope, which in his help he had. Right faithful true he was indeed and word, but of his cheer did seem too solemn sad, yet nothing did he dread, but ever was dread. The knight is fearless. Like all knights, he carried the cross on the breast of his armor as a symbol of Christ. The greater irony is that although the Red Cross Knight thinks he has the full armor of God, as described by Paul, he hasn't proved himself. 
because Paul so wonderfully describes what it means to wear the full armor of God, let's turn to Ephesians 6, referred to earlier by Una. Only someone who has the full armor of God can defeat the dragon. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take upon you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking that shield of faith wherein ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The Red Cross Knight has on the full armor, but the dents are from another knight. The youthful knight does not yet know what truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the Holy Spirit, and watching with all perseverance and supplication for all saints means, or the cost to achieve them. He is not prepared for battle. His faith is in himself and the empty armor, and not in God. As we shall see, it nearly cost him his life before the journey had hardly begun. We can see that pride, not power, drove him. Upon a great adventure he was bound, that greatest Gloriana to him gave, that greatest glorious queen of fairyland to win him worship, and her grace to have, which of all earthly things he most did crave. And ever as he rode, his heart did earn to prove his puessence in battle brave upon his foe, and his new force to learn, upon his foe, a dragon horrible and stern. Gloriana represents glory, or the fairy queen. Gloriana selected the Red Cross Knight to deliver Una's parents from the dragon. But the Red Cross Knight is driven by pride. He wants to prove his power in battle. He wants to be the knight in shining armor. He thinks that just by putting on the armor, he is equal to the armor. He depends upon his own strength. Had the Red Cross Knight met the dragon that held Una's parents captive, at this stage, he would have been destroyed. Una knows that and will not take him to her parents until he has proven worthy. She realizes that he has much to learn. Una is pure truth. She will be his teacher as long as he will let her. She finds, however, that the task is almost impossible. Una is described by Spencer. A lovely lady rode him fair beside, upon a lowly ass more white than snow, yet she much whiter, but the same did hide under a veil that wimpled was full low, and over all a black stole she did throw, as one that inly mourned, so was she sad, and heavy sat upon her palfrey slow. Seemed in her heart some hidden care she had, and by her in a line a milk-white lamb she led, so pure and innocent as that lamb. She was in life in every virtuous lore, and by descent from royal lineage came of ancient kings and queens that had of yore 
their scepter stretched from east to western shore, and all the world in their subjection held, till that infernal fiend with foul uproar forewasted all their land and them expelled, whom to avenge she had this night from far compelled. Notice the clause. All the world in their subjection held, till that infernal fiend with foul uproar forewasted all their land and them expelled. In other words, the whole world held truth valiantly until Satan led them into sin. The first thing to be expelled was truth. We see the same thing today. The first casualty when man turns his back on God is truth, as Paul so aptly said. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Please join us next Monday as we observe the unprepared Red Cross Knight's first battle with a reluctant dragon. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.